Thank you, Bob. Thanks, Shannon. Um, my name is Jim. Uh, I am not the lead pastor. If you're a visitor here, he is actually out of town. Uh, my family and I have been at this church for about two years, and this would be actually the very first time um, that I've shared the word with you. So uh, we're going to need to pray for that. But don't be too nervous, though. I've actually done this before for about 10 years uh, on a hard time. I've not done it in Texas, so I understand the rules are a little different, but I'm pretty sure God's ubiquitous, and, and the word is constant across everywhere. Amen. So before we do, can, can I just, I know we prayed a lot here, but can we pray for our pastor? Church leadership is a really difficult thing, and they spend so much of their time giving and serving the rest of us that sometimes we forget that they get more attacks than we do. Because the enemy of our soul, if he can take down a leader of a church, he can take down 500 people, right? If he just takes down one of us, he takes down a small family. But So we need to remember to lift up our leaders and the leadership of the church and our pastors. So if you bow your heads, Father, we just love you this morning. I would pray that you be with Ross and his wife, Elizabeth, and their family. And as just like when Moses went up to the mountain this morning, that you would encourage him, that you'd speak to him this morning, you'd give him new life and new wisdom. I pray, I pray protection over the family for their health and their safety, that you'd send your angels to bring up the rear guard so you lift up their foot so they don't strike it against the stone. We just love them and pray for them. I just pray everything we do here today goes for your honor and glory and power. Um, so this morning, uh, if you remember earlier in the year, we talked about um, intentionally prayer, care, and share. I think that's supposed to rhyme, but it's hard to say. I try it. Prayer, care, and share. And uh, Ross asked you that you would nominate three people throughout the course of the year. And, and for them, you would pray for them, you would care for them, and you would share with them. And this morning, I'm going to emphasize the last part of that, share. So how many of you all maybe have struggled to ever share your faith or share Jesus Christ with other people? Ever been a struggle? You ever been in a situation you're like, man, you're like, I, like I knew that person was right there, but you're like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I know, I know Ross has told me all the words, right? I got all that, but I didn't know how to say it. So this morning, really what I want to share with you is um, how to tell stories. And, and, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story in that process. And the sharing part is really just knowing your story. And once you know your story, nobody can take it. See, God is a relational God. Really, the transition between the Old Testament and the New Testament was about following a set of rules and regulations versus actually knowing God and having a relationship with God. And if you have a relationship with God, it's easy to tell the story. Just like your wife or your spouse or your kids, right? Like, I know my wife. I know what she would say when I'm not around most of the time. Besides that I was wrong. <laughs> but, like, because I've had a 35, I think it's 35-year relationship with my wife. From the time she was a teenager, I know how she acted. I know all the bad things she did when she drove a car and she went, but I know her stories. She's done a lot of good things, too. She's done a lot of good things, too. Uh, but that's what it's about. In a little bit, I want to share with you my story, but I want to do it a little bit through uh, John 9, and we'll start with that a little bit this morning. And I just sort of want to read it through you, and as we go through that, you know, I like to relate, again, our faith is relational and it's experiential. You can, you know, I love reading the Word, I love memorizing the Word, but you can only put so much up here. And, and you can try to convince people, but all you're convincing aside at the end of the day, we are three-part people. But when you can share a relationship, when you can share an experience, it calls to people. 
You can, some people, you need, you need to win them over by head knowledge, convincing them, right? Some people, that doesn't work. A lot of people aren't, aren't great evangelists. They aren't great teachers. God made us all equal but different. Amen? So let me start uh, telling you a little bit of a story. So, well, first, before I do that, a couple of stories, stories of my own. Uh, you remember some stories in your life. I remember um, I loved to play baseball when I was a kid. I wasn't that good, but I loved to play baseball. Um, and I always wanted to be a great hitter. Mike Schmidt was my hero. I'm a Northeast guy, right? So near Philadelphia, Mike Schmidt, if you remember him. And I was, and I was a terrible hitter. And uh, I still remember a coach, and I had gotten through four or five years, you know, I was a kid that had to play the obligatory two innings a game back then. You didn't have to play, but you had to play two innings. Somebody that was fair, so they put me in for two innings. And, and I was about, I don't know, 11 or 12, and the coach one time just said, you know, I, I think they had, I think he wouldn't have said this, right? He was saying all kinds of encouraging words. It was like, we got to put you in. Everybody's got to get in a bat. There's two innings left, right? And everybody's got to get in a bat, or I'm, the, I'm a bad coach. And he says, Jim, I don't, just try bunting. And I was like, I had never even bunted before. I didn't know how to do it or anything. And sure enough, he came up, first pitch I bunted, and I bend it. It's like four feet from the plate. Catcher was really slow. I got first time I ever got to first base. First time ever. And I had played for like four or five years. Um, I know it wasn't that good. I know I said that, but... I mean, it's a story. These are stories we remember. And then over the next five or six games, guess what I did? Four at-bats every game. I bunted. And my average over the next four games, I think, was 550. I got on base more than half of the time. Um, anyway, the stories like that, they make a difference in your life. But then I want to share another story with you a little bit. And, and I'll tell you, I didn't share this story a lot. I'm going to tell you part of it now, and then we'll get into the Bible. We all, we all have a story in our life. And for years, I didn't share this story a lot. Frankly, I was a little bit ashamed. And I only realized over a course of time that I was robbing God of his story. So as, I, as we go through this, remember, your story is God's story. It's work he's done in your life. And when you don't tell it, you're robbing God of his glory. It's not about how you feel about it or whatever. It is his story. It's the work he's done in my life. But I have a little story here. So when I was um, at this little bit setter, so I know the kids are here, so I'll try not to be too graphic with it, but... Um, when, when I was five, my, my dad was, uh, he was a construction worker roofer in the Northeast. And any roofers, any roofers here? Chance, chance. Roofing's a hot job, isn't it? <laughs> the week after Memorial Day, uh, my dad had come home. We had recently had water in our basement. Not just like Houston, but you know, in the Northeast we have basements and they get water. Especially back in the 70s whenever they did that. He came home from work one day, and our hot water heater had been out. It had been out for a week because they had water in the basement. And unbeknownst to him, um, the hot water heater was leaking gas. And I still remember the day I was five. I'm a little bit more than five today. This is 1973. So if you want to do the math, you can figure out how old I am. Um, so and I, still, I, can, I can still, there's certain things, right? You can remember certain things when you're little, certain you can't. I still remember my mom, and I was outside, so create the picture. They were old houses. It had a shared driveway, detached single-car garages. So the house on this side, house on this side, built exactly alike. Two single-car garages in the center with shared a driveway. So we spent a lot of time with neighbors' kids out in that driveway. And the worst thing I had done up to this point was ride my big wheel from that driveway into the road, and I got the worst spanking of my life. And I, I remember that. Up to this point, that was the most traumatic event in my life, I think. 
So um, my, my mom comes out and we're playing, and I remember just the look in her face, and she looked at me and she said, your father and I are going around the house, and whatever you do, you stay here and you play. Do not follow us. And I was five. And of course, like every other five-year-old boy, I might add, mostly five-year-olds are superheroes, right? Amen to that? Especially boys. Um, there's never anything that you're going to fail at. There's never anything that can harm you. And like any other proper five-year-old boy, the very second my mom and dad walked around the front of the house, I did what most, I followed them. I wanted to know what was going on. There was something cool going on. And beside us, there was a, a, a meat market. They don't really have, they have some of those today. But so it was a driveway. And down into our basement, we had a set of Bilco doors. You know what those are? It's like the ground's flat. There's a set of doors. You lift it up and you walk down into the steps. So, you know, I was spying around the corner and I saw mom and dad go around. And I saw them go down into the basement. And of course, as soon as they were out of sight, I snuck over. And I remember, and, and, and I got right to the top of the steps, and I'm looking down, and I couldn't quite see him. I went down another step, still couldn't quite see him. I went down one more step. And when they did that, uh, my father was lighting the, the pilot light, and our hot water heater was gas. And it had gone out because of the water, and then there was actually a leak, and we didn't know that. And when he lit that, I was on the second step of those steps, and there was an explosion. And if you know anything about an explosion, an explosion seeks air. So frankly, my mom was behind the hot water heater, my dad was down here like this, and I was on the steps. And the explosion will always, so it is consumed all there in the basement, and then it came up through the steps and threw me about, people say 30, I don't know, it threw me a ways, which I didn't remember um, until, until I kind of came out of it. My mom only got flash burns on her ankle. My father was burnt from here to here and sort of on his face, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. I remember standing up and I remember walking. I mean, I was a little bit confused and I remember walking. And I remember wa I walked all the way over to my neighbor and there I saw my dad. My dad was just sort of black. And I remember him grabbing me and rolling me on the ground. And I remember sitting in my neighbor's couch and, and my neighbor's tears. And, and she was such a sweet lady and she was trying so hard to be strong. And tears were just streaming down her face. But she just kept looking at me and trying to be strong for me. I remember the, the lady Dixie in the ambulance and the way she, she was a rock. She smiled the entire time, told me everything would be okay, but I was fine. I didn't actually know there was anything wrong with me. So I'm going to tell you more about that story as we go, but this is part of my story, right? And, and um, why did that happen to me? It was a good question, but we'll tell you how the story ends a little bit. So in John 9... Um, it's a story about Jesus healing a man born blind. Now, why was he born blind? Jesus had done many miracles, and there, how many, there's a lot of ways to lose your sight. You can have an accident. Uh, you can develop a disease during your life. So you would have had the experience of having sight and then lost it. That's different than a man who was actually born in this way. He was actually born blind. So as he went along, um, he saw a man, and this was Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? These are his disciples. These are not the Pharisees or the Sadducees. His disciples, followers of Christ, are the ones who said to him. Now, some of this was the thinking of the day, was everything was cause and effect. And if you think about the Old Testament versus the New Testament, right? There was a set of rules and regulations for which you knew you would fail every day. You couldn't follow the rules every day. And then you had to make atonement for those because you failed it every day. So a little bit, there was a thinking of the day that all suffering came from sin. 
Now, I don't know about you, that would be a harsh way to live. If every time you made a mistake, you had to suffer, or your children, because they also believed that that was even passed down to the, to the children. If the parents made mistakes, they, the suffering would be inflicted by the children. Praise God, we are not under that anymore. Amen to that? So, and he, Jesus, and again, I don't fault him. I mean, that was the belief of the day a little bit. I don't want to judge him, but there's times a little bit. I like to relate to the people in the story. I've been, I've been like that. And you ever go home and be like, what'd you do? Something bad happened. You say it to your dog. You say it to your kids. You know, my wife might say it to me. I might say it to her. Right? What'd you do? You see somebody in a cab. What'd you do? Maybe it's an accident. Maybe you did something stupid. Who knows, right? Right? If they're suffering a lot of times, I can tend to think that way sometimes. It's kind of wrong thinking, but I can. I saw the slipper torn up yesterday. I looked at the dog. What'd you do? Right? Cause and effect. If there was suffering, there must be sin somewhere. All right, so they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What pressure for a parent? That I sinned and my son was born blind? Can you imagine the weightiness of that kind of thinking? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as there's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work while I'm in the world. I am the light of the world. One other teaching, we could talk about that forever. I don't want to dwell on it too much. But he said, this was done so the glory of God could be. Now that can be hard. It can be hard when you see suffering to know that sometimes we just have to trust. Why was a five-year-old boy burnt on 50% of his body? I don't know. It felt really bad at the time. You never know. God created us. He created the earth. He knows the beginning and from the end. It can be hard to trust. But we never know why these situations come about. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, another, another virgin says clay, and put it on the man's eyes. So number one, back in, back in that day, spit was sort of a medicinal product, if you will. They used it a lot. Hard to believe. Uh, but he spit in the and another one says clay. So what do you, what happens, especially this black stuff you got in Texas, what is that, Texas gumbo, what do they call that black stuff, it's kind of, what, is it gumbo or something like that? Whatever that is, you can't get it off a golf club or your shoe, I know that. But clay is not usually used to separate things or make them better, it's usually used to form them and keep them together, right? So he says to the man, spit on the ground, and he did this on the Sabbath. He put it on the man's eyes, and he told him, go... Wash in the pool of Siloam, which meant sent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. Now, number one, we know by this point, Jesus, he could have healed him a lot of different ways. Amen? How many times he just spoke a word? One time a centurion came. He said, I know you have authority. Speak a word, and they'll be healing miles away. Other times he did it by a touch. He did it many different ways. In this case, I don't know all the reasons why, but I know he could have done it a different way. I think he was trying to make a point. He used spittle. He did it on Sunday. He made clay. And can you imagine this man, the faith of the man? I don't know about you, but I'm trying to relate, trying to relate to this people. Can you imagine this day and age, there's a doctor down the street, but another guy comes and says, you know what, here's the thing. I'm going to spit. I'm going to put some mud in your eyes. I want you to walk all the way to the river, through the town. No highways, right? You're going to walk through the town. Mud. Now, he was blind, so maybe he couldn't see, right? But can you imagine the sight of this guy with mud and spit all over his face and his eyes walking through town to go to the washer, right? People would have been saying, who is this kook, right? Who's this guy walking down the street with mud on his eyes and why is he doing that? 
But the faith of that man, can you imagine? Would you challenge? Would I have the faith if somebody says, you know, to believe that if I did that, but the faith of the man, and he said, in fact, he was healed. So he spit on the ground, and he wanted to wash the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. And the other thing you'll notice, Jesus didn't go with him. His neighbors, you ever been a neighbor? I've been a neighbor. Pay attention to how the neighbors are smiling. And those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Think, have you ever been the neighbor? In these stories, I like to think of myself, of all the characters, because, look, I don't have right thinking all the time. You ever been the neighbor? I mean, you saw this guy every day begging. Now, some people were skeptical, because some people pretended to be beggars, because people had pity on him, give him money, and they went have to work. So maybe there's some truth, and they wanted to make sure this guy just wasn't a phony, but they saw him every day. So some said, it's him, and some say that he wasn't. But he only looks like him. He's sort of impersonated. But he himself says, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. And if you get nothing else, this, this is the point of the whole story today. And he replied, this is his story. The man they called Jesus made some mud. He put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I could see. This is the model of how we share I was a certain way. I met a name, man called Jesus. Because of the experience I had with a man called Jesus, I became a new way. And that's our story. It's that simple. I was, I met, I relate, and I am. I love the way he says it, so let's keep going on. Where is this man, he asked. I don't know, he said. So the Pharisees investigate the healing. Of course, the good old Pharisees the religious leaders of the day that created all the rules, mostly which lifted themselves up, mostly, right? Um, ever been, I, I've been a Pharisee, again, I'm trying to relate to all, I've been a Pharisee, in my thinking, right? I'll ask you not to try and find out where, but in my thinking, I've been a Pharisee. They brought to the Pharisees the man who, oh, this is a parallel Bible, other page, who had been blind. Don't you love the leather-bound Bibles? You can just bend them and do whatever you want. The man had been born blind. Now, the day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Again, he said, there's one thing he knows. I don't know about the rules. I don't know. Here's what I know. He put mud in my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. That's what I know. It's my story. You can't take it from me. That's what happened. I was there. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for how does he not keep the Sabbath? Of course, you ever been there and you witness a miracle or you witness some kind of healing and right away you're questioning? Like, I've been there. Wait, is that real? Well, certainly he can't do it because on the Sabbath, why would you heal? So forget the fact that he just healed a man. Let's go check the rule book to see if he followed the rules. Because it was Sunday. You can't heal people on a Sunday. How dare you? You should have waited until Monday morning. That's right. But then others said, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So there's a division. Because others said, wait a minute, some sinner couldn't, couldn't heal a man, regardless of what day it was. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes, he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. 
Anybody been a parent? Just relate to the parents here for a minute. Is this your son, they asked him. Is this the one you say were born blind? How is it that he now can see? Now, I want to believe at this point as a parent, I'd be really bold. Not always so, though. They say, we know he is our son. The parents are, and we know he was born blind. Good for them. But how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. It says his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus Christ would be put out of the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. I asked you that question in the beginning. Have you ever been a little afraid to share? And in this case, even my son, if my own son was healed, I mean, the heads, they acknowledged that he was there. I acknowledged that he was blind to see, but I'm not going to testify because I know that there's going to be persecution from the church from that. They were afraid to tell the story. He was age, he will speak for himself. His parents said, because they were afraid of the Jews, that is why his parents said he's of age. The second time, they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner, speaking of Jesus. He replied, this is, this, this is my favorite part, his story. What does he reply? Look, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. You ever been there? I mean, somebody would want to argue religion with you, whether it be another faith, another one. It's like, I don't. Look, he, he's like, I just don't know. Right? I'm not going to sit here and argue with my body. I'm not going to get my six-gun my, my six shooter out. I, I can't. I don't, I don't know these things. But there's one thing I know. I was blind, and now I see. Every time, I have a story. You can argue with me. You can try to just make me not. You can show me other facts, but you know what? There's one thing I know. I was blind. He put mud in my eye. He washed my eyes, and now I see, and you can't take that from me. And that man in my mind was a prophet, he said. That's what I know. What you know, what your rules are, I don't know. So then he answers, and he said, I've told you already. Or no, then they said, they asked him, what did he do? And how did he open your eyes? And he answered, I told you already. Then you listen. He's already told him two, maybe three times like this. Aren't you listening to me? Why do you want to hear it? And I, I love the faith of man. Some people say, there's a commentary that would say he was being sarcastic. I'm going to believe that he was faith. He says, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Now, I, we could go on with that story more and more and more and more because there's so much more teaching in there. But that's the part I love about that story. I've been all those people. And at the end, and, and, and that's the hook, at the end, and he's like, I told you three times. He's like, hey, do you want that too? And that's the very story. And, and uh, if, if I share a little bit about my story, and, and uh, when I was five and I was in the ambulance, and I have a story here, and um, I, I, actually I have a digital picture, and I share it too, and there's some news clippings about, about how it happened and things. By the way, it, it cost, um, so we got to the hospital, in the first day, they told my mom I would probably perish. Um, I did not die on that day. I will live and not die and proclaim what the Lord has done for me, it says. Every morning. Um, after a couple of days, they told my mom, he's probably not going to die, but he's never going to walk again. 
John 8, 44 says, the devil is a liar and a father of all lies. And every morning when I put my foot on the ground, the devil is a liar. Amen? So, um, and I have an article here that, that would share that. 1973, inflation was different. So, uh, uh, critical care, I don't know all the fancy biblical words, but I was five. I didn't know all those things, right? Nobody ever told me these things, by the way. I didn't know. All I know is people came in and they, they prayed for me. And I, and I was with... Uh, I remember the, the guy I was roommate with, and, and the, the old guy was miserable. He was in the room with me. I can't remember what happened to him. And his wife was the sweetest thing on the face of the earth. And every day I couldn't wait for her to come in because when she wasn't there, he would be like, be quiet, boy, you're bothering me. I mean, just he was me, right? And I was a five-year-old boy, and I was burned 50% of my body, 30 rebirths. So I don't want to be too graphic. I actually have a picture. Um, it was from pretty much here down, a little bit in my arm, a little bit in my face. You know, 45 years later, some of it's muted. But uh, so if you ever see me in shorts, people say, hey, that's a funny tan line you got. I'm like, yeah, it is, because I don't want to tell them it's actually scars. But um, so, I mean, I didn't remember all those things. And they told me, and the article actually says that, that uh, my mother had been released, my father would be there for a while, but that I would be in the hospital for at least three months. So I'm going to tell you, I walked out of the hospital in five weeks in 1973. You want to know about inflation? It was $103 a day in the burn unit. Things are a little different today. Um, so, you know, there was, a, there was a cry for money and all that. And I remember so many stories in there. And I was five and I didn't know. Look, and this time I didn't have a great relationship with Christ. But other people interceded for me. There was a pastor who came in every day at noon. He just played games with me. And he prayed with me. I didn't know what prayer meant, but he just played games with me. I remember my roommate's wife would come in and she was the sweetest. She would bring me gifts and she would hug me. I still remember the way she smelled and she was so soft. Um... And then there's good nurses and there's bad nurses. Um, there's nurses that are just so compassionate. When you have those kind of burns, they put a lot of cream on you two or three times a day. Again, I don't want to be too graphic for the kids because your skin is mostly gone. And they put cream on you and they take you down the club, tub and they, and they scrub it off. And it's for your own good. And it hurts really bad. And I won't tell you how it looks. Some nurses were so compassionate and some of them were just like, how did the mean nurse? And you can imagine those. I remember all those people. Um, and, I, and when I got out of that story, you know, probably for 10 or 15 years of my life, I didn't want to tell anybody. I wouldn't wear shorts, you know, and, and, I, and I had a, an issue with my father and our relationship, and I, and I ran away from it. But over that time, as I drew back, back to Christ in my late 20s, I began to realize this was my story. And you may have other stories. Look, everybody doesn't have a story about a great healing. No, not everybody. It doesn't matter. He's done other works in my life. Everybody has some kind of story. And that story is yours to tell. I have a story that says, I was condemned to die. I was burnt in a way that they thought a five-year-old would die. Or never walk again. And every day, that's a, that's a chance for me to share my story with someone else. And just like the boys said at the end, after you show the story, it's easy. How do I share? It's easy. You just say, God's not a respecter of persons. He'll do the same thing for you he did for me. It'll be differently. Not everybody has a has a healing stories. Some people, I think it was Dan, shared a story about having an issue with anger, right? He got to know I was this way. I got to know God. And afterwards, I didn't have that anymore. Everybody has a story. You have a way that God's shown up in your life, whether it be in your marriage, whether it be with your children, be financial provision. Not some people can be awesome at being an evangelist. And in John 3, 16, God so loved the world. Not, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world, right? I mean, some people are awesome at that, right? You can wield the Bible. 
That's great, but everybody has a story to tell. And this man is one of my favorite in the Bible. Just remember how he says it. One thing I know, no matter what else, when people start arguing with about Christian, right? I get people all the time, and um, the guy at work, I work with a lot of people all over the globe, and I remember he told me he was, uh, he was in the British Army, right? And, and he was asking me, and we were just sharing one time in a, in a pub down in London, and, and he's asking me, so what are you doing? Oh, me and my family do this, and on you know, Saturdays we go for breakfast, Sunday we spend time in the church, and at the time her and I played and did other, so I'm sharing all that, and he's just like, so tell me about that. Is that a Christian church, right? And I started explaining a little bit to him. And at the end, he goes, he goes, and he's starting to prime me about my faith. Well, why do you have faith? And why do you believe that's true, right? And he's asked me that. At first, right, I'm feeling pretty confident. I'm like, oh, great, I'm going to have a chance to witness to somebody, right? But as I get to the end, right, he kind of gets, gets a gotcha on me, and he kind of goes, he's like, I've been to Fallujah, and I've seen, seen things happen to men that can't be true if there's a God, on, a God in heaven. And he starts telling me stories, which is just breaking me down to no end, right? And because at that point, you're just like, because you don't know. I mean, anybody else, but when I get to heaven, I got some questions I'm going to ask God. Because I don't know everything. I don't. And some of it doesn't make sense. No kidding, because if it did, then I'd be God. Let God be God and let me be Jim, okay? So I'll be Jim, but when I get there, I got some questions. Um, and that, I, I didn't know, right? And at the end, after like 30 minutes, and I'm telling you, he made a strong case for why I shouldn't be a Christian. <laughs> he really did. I was like, man, that is, that's really compelling. But then when he's all done, you know what I said to him? I said, Simon, I hear you, man. Here's what I know. I was an angry young man, and God came into my life, and I'm not angry anymore. Here's what I know. I was condemned to die and never walk again, and God came into my life, and people prayed, and I walked today, and I'm alive. That's what I know. I don't know your story. I don't know why all those things happen to you. I don't know why they're so bad. God does, and I wish he would tell me. But I can't explain that. But there's one thing I know. I was condemned to die, and I walked. I was an angry man, and I'm not anymore. Those are things I know. So this morning, prayer, care, share. All sharing is is just knowing your story. But to do that, you have to have a relationship with God. And when you have a relationship, you got to know what he's done in your life. He's done things in everybody's life. If you were, you were a certain way, you encountered God, and you were a different way. And that's a story, and it's God's story for you to tell. And don't ever be ashamed to tell that story. It's his work. It's not yours. You don't own it. I don't own that story. I was five. I didn't know. That's a story he did for me. At the time, it felt bad, but he did that for me. And when I don't share that story, I deprive God of his glory and his work here on earth. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads. Father, we love you this morning. I would just pray that this morning in this place that your Holy Spirit would be close, that you would make it very real to us. Father God, that, that you would strip out any intimidation or any fear, that we'd feel fully empowered to know what you've done in our life. It says that the Holy Spirit would be just like a brother to us. I just pray that he'd make that real inside of us, in our mind, in our soul, in our will, in our emotions, in our spirit this morning. I pray that we'd be a people of love and compassion. For we know that it's just everything you did, Father, was out of love and compassion. You gave each one of us a story. 
afraid of fear and intimidation and shame would never end. And it says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So, Lord God, we release condemnation from everybody here. And I pray you give us bold confidence. Ours is not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love. I pray that you give us each that power. And confidence and trust in you. I pray everything we do here just gives you honor and glory. Let's build the kingdom of God.